It's time for The Cable Guide, the podcast where I talk about every appearance of Nathan Christopher Charles Dayspring Ascani Sun Summers, the all-purpose adventure guy, otherwise known as Cable. I'm Grant Richter, and this is Episode 9. Good journey, and welcome back to the show. This week, I'm going to be talking about the 1991 Summer Annual Kings of Pain, which takes place across the annual for New Mutants, New Warriors, Uncanny X-Men, and X-Factor. Now, uh, full disclosure before we get into this, uh, I am doing things somewhat out of order in terms of publication date. And part of that's my fault. It's just a lack of research. The way Marvel Unlimited lists their annuals, they always have them as coming out in January of whatever year they were released. And I was just going by memory as to when I thought I got it, and apparently my memory was off. And the two stories that I'm going to talk about next episode actually came out before Kings of Pain. But that's okay, because these are like 30-year-old stories, and we'll work it out. Um, Also, once I made that realization, I had already invested some time and emotion into this story. One, because I'd already done a bit of work on the synopsis. And two, I found I really enjoy this story. Uh, which kind of surprised me because summer annuals don't always hold up. Um, Also, I'd heard another podcast do some coverage of the story that wasn't very flattering. But I really like it. It's by Phoebe Nicieza. He's writing all four annuals. Um, I enjoy his work in general. Uh, This is his first time writing what is ostensibly X-Force. Excuse me. And he does a really good job. And... Not only do I like it and I want to keep going with it, but after doing the last two stories um, that I did not enjoy very much, I decided to just treat myself and do a story that I like. So that's that. And also, this is basically a story about Cable trying to save a young boy from abuse at the hands of his guardian, basically. And that's a theme that I very much appreciate. Now, last episode, I mentioned that I was going to do the entire Kings of Pain story in one episode. I thought I was going to end up doing it kind of like how I did um, Days of Future Present, where I just did one long overview for the whole story and then broke down elements of the individual issues. But because I like this, I want to savor it. And I'm going to do this more traditionally, where I do a synopsis for each issue, and because I don't want this to be a three-hour-long podcast, I'm going to break it up into two episodes. Now, that does mean that our countdown to Blood and Metal has not changed. We are still at five episodes until Blood and Metal, but that's okay, because like I said, I'm enjoying talking about the story, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as well. So sit back and relax as we get into Kings of Pain. New Mutants Annual Number 7 Written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Gwang Yap, inked by Dan Panosian, colored by Brad Vancata, lettered by Joe Rosen, cover art by Mike Mignola, and edited by Bob Harris. Three members of the Alliance of Evil, Frenzy, Tower, and Stinger, attack the St. Simon's Academy near Montpellier, Vermont, under orders of their new leader, an armored figure known as Harness. Mutant children Leech, Artie Maddox, and Takeshi Matsua attempt to stop the Alliance, but are defeated almost instantly. 
Harness directs a young boy dubbed Piecemeal, who Harness physically and verbally abuses and keeps on an energy leash to absorb some form of energy from the school. The villains depart, but not before Tower critically injures Taki. X-Force, who have been tracking the Alliance's activities, stop at a nearby hospital a few days later to speak with Taki, where they learn of the Alliance's connection to Harness. So far, Harness and the Alliance have made several similar hit-and-run operations along the East Coast. X-Force has been using Cerebro devices to track the Alliance, but so far X-Force has been unable to uncover a pattern to predict their next move. Later, the Alliance's attack in Vermont is reviewed by the Board of Directors of Gene Tech, a research facility in Long Island. They confirm that energy readings from the St. Simons Academy match those of genetic material they've been contracted to develop. Also, at the IDIC Corporation in Manhattan, a shadowy group confirms that the Alliance had completed another successful absorption mission, and that if everything continues as planned, they will be ready to begin mass production of their project within a few weeks. Harness and the Alliance soon arrive at their next target site, Niagara Falls. When Piecemeal detects the energy they've been searching for over the falls themselves, Harness throws him out over the rushing water, secured only by the energy leash around his neck. X-Force arrives soon after, and though Harness teleports away with Piecemeal, the heroes make short work of the Alliance. After the brief skirmish, Cable and Domino use some creative interrogation to get information out of Tower. X-Force learns from Tower that the Alliance had been hired by Genetech as part of a Sailor Reconstruction Assignment. The team heads to Genetech, smashes their way inside, and takes out the security guards before ending up in a showdown with the new warriors. Alrighty. So, let's talk about the cover first, because this cover is done by Mike Mignola. And it's a very early Mike Mignola, who hasn't quite come into his style that he will achieve with Hellboy in a few years. And the color palette is not what one normally associates with Mignola. Um, there's a lot of brighter reds and bright blues and purples and all that, but it's still very distinctly Mignola. And it looks really good. And even though Harness is probably one of the most reprehensible characters I've ever read, uh, their armor looks pretty awesome and it is front and center right in the middle of this cover. Now, I should acknowledge the fact that I did refer to the team as X-Force throughout this whole synopsis. I'm going to continue doing that throughout this episode and the next one because this is very much not the New Mutants. In New Mutants number 100, they very much make it clear that they are not the New Mutants anymore. And they actually tease the idea of calling themselves X-Force. Now, this... It would be weird to have an X-Force annual when the first issue hasn't even come out yet. And it would probably make the launch uh, somewhat anticlimactic of the X-Force series. Um, so, you know, I totally get the logic of putting it in a New Mutants annual after the series had ended. But this is, this is very much X-Force. This is very thematically not the New Mutants. It is very thematically X-Force. So we open up with the Alliance of Evil attacking this school, which is right outside of Montpelier, Vermont. And I thought that was pretty cool because Montpelier, Vermont is one of the places my family and I are thinking about eventually moving to. But who is the Alliance of Evil? Now, 
the Alliance is one of the first villains, uh, villain groups that the original X-Factor team fought back in the mid-80s. And this group is Frenzy, who is a super strong woman, and Tower, who is a guy who can uh, grow and get real strong, and Stinger, who is this weird kind of late new age uh, fashion victim who can shoot electricity. Um, there's also a fourth member named Time Shadow, uh, who is not in this group because it's uh, their powers are weird. Um, but uh, out of this group, Frenzy is definitely has the most uh, life to her character. She will eventually go on to become one of the Acolytes later in the 90s, and then she will eventually reform and join uh, Rogue's team of X-Men in X-Men Legacy, and she's pretty cool. Uh, Tower is a huge jerk, um, which we'll see here in just a moment. Uh, he eventually will be killed by the executioner <laughs> in, uh, in X-Men Annual in a few years. And he's a dumb character, so I have no problem calling him Executioner as opposed to the Executioner's song. And they're they're not related at all. Uh, Executioner's kind of like if the Punisher used alien weapons to hunt mutants. And Stinger's just lame, and I don't think she ever makes an appearance after this again. And so it's not exactly clear what Harness is after and it's not exactly clear what piecemeal is doing in this issue but as they're doing their thing uh, Taki and Artie and Leech see it happening and they're gonna go try to stop them which seems like a really dubious plan now who are Taki and Artie and Leech now uh, Leech was a member of the Morlocks up until the mutant massacre and he can basically cancel anyone's mutant powers. I don't know if it works on other types of superpowers or not. I think it's just mutant specific. Uh, Artie is this kid who can project uh, mental images. Um, so like he can make pictures out of his thoughts. And his dad was the guy who originally... Hi, um, employed the Alliance of Evil way back in early X-Factor. And he was something about trying to, you know, cure his kid's mutation or something. I don't remember. And Taki is this wheelchair-bound kid, and he can control and manipulate technology and make it into new things. And he usually makes it into stuff that helps him get around uh, better than his wheelchair can. Uh, like in this, he makes this kind of hovercraft thing out of just junk and computers in his room, which is pretty neat. Um, but they are not exactly a powerhouse trio, and they get taken out really fast. And in fact, Tower uh, tries to stomp Taki to death as this scene ends. So Tower is a really reprehensible character. He actually, in the issue, or the uh, in the annual where he gets killed, he is trying to rape a lady. So yeah, he's he's pretty terrible. So we get Harness, and Harness's armor looks awesome. It's kind of anime looking. It's kind of Kirby looking. 
I don't really know how to describe it beyond that. It's it's kind of dark blue with these orange accents to it, and it has this kind of flaring cape of metal spikes almost. And it has this really elaborate headdress, and there is a like braided ponytail thing that's made out of metal that goes down their back and ends in a spike. And then I don't know if it's inherent in the armor or if it's their power, but they can make this leash, this uh, well, harness. It's kind of like an energy tendril that comes out of their wrist, and it wraps around this little kid's neck called piecemeal. And piecemeal is just a regular-looking boy. He's probably 10, and harness is absolutely terrible to him. So they are still in this helicopter that the Alliance of Evil flew in on. And so while the Alliance is running around causing chaos and, and generally creating a, a disruption as a, as a distraction, Harness just shoves him out of the helicopter and says, get out, you little piece of meat. And then she puts the leash on him. And let's see, what else does she say to him? Um, but the, so she just, uh, she goes, make this fast, you little dirt bag. She tells him when he's supposed to go sucking up the energy. And it's not super obvious from the art what piecemeal's doing. There's one panel, it's on page seven of the digital copy, where like his hair starting to stand on end and there's this green energy all around him. And he says, foosh. In the next scene, like you, he's so infused with energy that you can see his skeleton through his body and he's screaming in pain. And there's a fazak, but it looks like the energy is coming out of him. There's, uh, I, I guess we're just reliant on the, uh, the dialogue to determine that the energy is actually coming into him rather than out of him. Uh, the artist on this, by the way, like I mentioned, is Gwang Yap, who I think was the fill-in artist on the last New Mutants issue of uh, Extinction Agenda. And if I'm right, is his art looks a lot better here. Um, that may be the result of the inker, who is Dan Panosian. Um, we're going to see more Dan Panosian in X-Force. He is actually going to take over as the penciler, uh, the fill-in penciler, when Rob abruptly leaves to go do image full-time. And who bless him for trying, but his art as a penciler is not good in those issues. And that may just be because he was probably mandated to try to copy Rob's style. And if you're not a fan of Rob, uh, imagine someone doing a bad impersonation of Rob's art. It is not good. So uh, piecemeal sucks up the energy and they take off. And after getting stomped by Tower, Taki wakes up in the hospital and X-Force is there. And the really weird thing about this this uh, story is that Feral is pleasant, um, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say because Feral is just a, pretty much a terrible character. She is a one note of bad one-liners and terrible attitude. And you can tell that Fabian is having to kind of follow the dictates of what he knows Rob has planned for X-Force which we'll see as we get later on into the story. Uh, but I'm guessing one of the things they hadn't quite mopped out is Farrell's personality. So he makes her kind of snarky 
and he makes her kind of a troublemaker. But, you know, when Taki wakes up, um, Pharaoh is leaning over his bed and she's just smiling pleasantly. And then she jokes with the rest of the team throughout the book. And she comes across more of a trickster character than a psychopath. Now, the characterization of her as a psycho does lead to a really great story uh, towards the end of Nicieza's run on X-Force, which I mentioned last episode. But it is, uh, it's interesting to see her not being awful. And speaking of not being awful, Nicieza's cable is not a jerk. He is uh, brusque. He's all business. He is not particularly comforting uh, to this child who's in the hospital. But he's like, well, give me the information so I can go get the people that did this to you. Which, you know, is a, that, that's not bad. But, you know, he's not a, a friendly guy, but he's not a terrible person in this. So I really do appreciate that quite a bit. So from there, we cut away to a scene at Gene Tech in Long Island. And Gene Tech is a reoccurring uh, setting and not quite, not villain, but definitely irresponsible antagonist in Nicieza's New Warriors. Um, they are responsible, I think, for Terax um, being uh, reincarnated in New Warriors, and they're responsible for a group of villains called Cyanex, which all have pretty interesting designs, at least, if not being particularly memorable characters. Um, so, you know, that's one thing I like about Nicieza doing this whole annual uh, crossover, is that he, he wrote the whole thing, so he's able to control the narrative completely. And I like that he brings in elements from New Warriors to this. And I like that there's actually something from every book um, makes its way into this. Like there's obviously X Force is kind of the kind of the the thread through each thing. There's it's the uh, kind of they're almost like the point of view team through most of it. We get elements from New Warriors. We get elements from the de facto X-Men team that we're going to see in that annual. And I think X-Factor is maybe the outlier in this. Um, I, have not, I haven't gotten to those issues yet. Um, as I'm covering, I kind of wanted to keep it a surprise to myself. I flipped through them. Um, there is stuff in there that if that I could read into it that gives a kind of a window as to where Nicieza will go when he takes over X-Force and starts writing Cable's solo series, which makes me wonder if these were things that... Now, obviously, I have no idea if Nicieza knew he was going to get to take over X-Force, Probably not. I don't think anybody had any idea that Rob was going to leave. I don't think Marvel would have invested this much time and energy into giving him this book if they knew he was going to leave in a year. But it makes me wonder if Nicieza had some ideas in mind just in case he did get to take over or stuff that he puts in this annual maybe seeded the idea of things that he would end up using later. But that's neither here nor there. 
Um, I don't know what's going on with this IDIC corporation in Manhattan yet. Um, it doesn't really, it seems a little contradictory. Basically, it, it looks like Gene Tech and this IDIC are both trying to accomplish the same goal. And whatever is going on with this energy that Harness is having peace metal uh, absorb, both Genetech and IDIC are trying to get their hands on it first. And honestly, I don't know if it's supposed to be pronounced IDIC or, or IDIC. IDIC, maybe. Um, I don't know. I've never heard of them before, and we'll see how that plays out. We also get a scene in Vail, Colorado, of a mountain chalet, and we have two guys playing chess. One of them is very obviously supposed to be Gideon because he has the trademark top knot. We don't know who the guy playing against him is right now, but they are. it is obvious that they are the uh, kind of shadow people behind both Genetech and IDIC trying to accomplish this goal of whatever it is. So over at Niagara Falls, uh, we see Harness being awful to um, to piecemeal again. And basically she's got him up on this basically guardrail um, that overlooks the falls. And she's making fun of him for being scared that he's going to fall over. And so she puts the tether line on him and just tosses him over, which again is just incredibly terrible. Um, it really infuriates me that someone would be that mean to a kid. And X-Force shows up, and they take out uh, the Alliance pretty easily. Uh, there is a cool scene where Warpath is fighting Frenzy, and Frenzy calls him Geronimo. And he he says, I don't insult my heritage with names like Geronimo. I really don't like that, as he like double hand punches her across the face. And then as she falls down unconscious... Um, Farrell jumps on his back and calls him Hiawatha. And he says, you know, I, uh, let's see, you heard what I said, Farrell. So don't use any derogatory Native American humor around me. Or I'll wrap your tail around the nearest fire hydrant. Uh, and then she's like, you know, she's making kissy faces going, ooh, promises, promises. And then she calls him Tonto in like really small font. So it, it almost comes across like they were establishing kind of a flirtatious relationship between Warpath and Farrell. Oh, this, by the way, is also the first time that... Uh, we learn that James has taken the code name of Warpath because they're not clear on that in the last issue of New Mutants. And I assumed at the time that he was just going to be Thunderbird 2. So it's pretty neat that he's taken on his own identity. So I like that. And let's see. So Harness teleports away with piecemeal. <laughs> um, so they have... X-Force has knocked... Um, towered down. Uh, it looks like um, uh, Shatterstar has severed uh, Tower's tendons in the backs of his calves. So Tower can't get up. And there's this really fun scene where Tower's laying down and Tower has like this really long flowing blonde hair. He looks like, like if Sebastian Bach from Skid Row was all roided out. And <laughs> so he's laying down and Cable is standing on his hair on one side of his head, and Domino is standing on his hair on the other side of his head, and they both have guns pointed at his temples. And Cable just says, Who? What? Where? When? Why? How? 
Um, so yeah, a little creative interrogation, which I thought was, I think it's in one sense, it's kind of terrible, but it's also kind of funny because again, he's towers, a terrible person. And so from there, X-Force uh, learns about gene tech and they go there and they, they beat up all the security guards and that's when they run. Uh, oh, first they go into this really big Kirby chamber. It's really neat. It's this huge chamber and there's all this tech and squiggly lines and just crackling energy and it looks really neat i'll be sure to put that up on twitter and that's where they run into the new warriors and it's pretty fun uh new warriors was one of the few non-mutant titles that i was reading when this came out i was reading you know all three of the x books and then i think like the, the og guardians of the galaxy series and i think the hulk if he'd merged into the professor by then and ghost Rider and new warriors. And I really, that's one of the reasons I like this crossover so much. Cause it's got a bunch of teams that I all like, cause you know, I just don't care about the fantastic four. So, um, days of future present didn't, didn't days of future present didn't really do much for me, but this is fun. And I'm going to go into their looks a little more because there is some artistic inconsistency in their costume design between this issue and next. Plus the artist in the next is the regular, New Warriors artist, so I think he does them some better uh, justice, uh, no pun intended. We also get a couple backup stories that I'm not going to go into. That um, There's one that runs through all four annuals, and it is about the Blob, Avalanche, Pyro, Crimson Commando, and Silver Saber of Freedom Force um, getting stuck behind lines uh, somewhere in the Middle East, and um, they get pretty well dismantled by a uh, by a super team uh, that works for uh, whatever government, whatever country's government they're in. Uh, it's a pretty good story, but I'm not going to go into it because it has like nothing to do with Cable. And there's another story about Artie and Leech and Taki um, going out and having fun shenanigans adventures, um, which again is a pretty good story, um, but... Um, but it doesn't have anything to do with cable, so I'm not going to talk about it. But you may want to check it out if you have access to this, because it is a cute little story. But that's that. Uh, so I'm going to take a break, and I will be back to talk about the new Warriors segment of this crossover. New Warriors Annual Number 1, written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by Jeff Albrecht, colored by Tom Vincent, lettered by Chris Iliopoulos, edited by Danny Fingeroff, and cover by Bagley and Mignola. X-Force and the New Warriors all fight each other until Speedball calls a timeout. The corporate heads of Gene Tech, Mr. Ferments and Mr. Rosen, make an appearance and reveal that they had asked the New Warriors to protect them from a double-cross from Ofra Industries, the company that hired them to carry out their current genetics project. Despite the Alliance's claims, Ferments and Rosen deny having hired them and suggest that the Alliance is working for a competitor. Later, Harness teleports with Piecemeal to an oil refinery outside of Anchorage, Alaska. There, Harness threatens Piecemeal into absorbing his largest collection of energy so far, despite the obvious pain and bodily distortion it's causing the young boy. To get the information that they need, X-Force breaks Frenzy out of a Canadian prison, dangling her out of a helicopter as she's being interrogated. Frenzy admits that Tower was lying when he said that the Alliance had been working for Gene Tech, 
and confirms that they were hired by IDIC, a corporate front for advanced idea mechanics. After getting this information, Cable literally drops Frenzy back into the prison's custody. X-Force and the New Warriors smash their way into an AIM facility and discover that the workers there have been assigned to create transparent, malleable humanoid shell casings. Marvel Boy theorizes that the shells are meant to house the energy being siphoned by piecemeal. Meanwhile, another X-Force and New Warriors group sneaks into the New Mutants former headquarters, the now locked and booby-trapped sub-basement beneath the ruins of the Xavier Mansion. There, they use Cerebro and data from GeneTech to pinpoint other areas of energy concentration that matches the energy targeted by Harness. Cerebro also determines that the data provided by GeneTech originated from the Muir Island Research Center. Sometime later, Harness forces piecemeal to absorb yet more energy in Tokyo, further disfiguring the boy's body. The two teams later regroup at GeneTech and compare notes. Between the data having come from Muir Island, the nature of the energy containment casings, and the time and date of the energy dispersed, Cable comes to the conclusion that AIM is trying to recreate the insane, reality-warping Proteus. Man, I really, really like this issue. Uh, before I talk about it, though, uh, one neat little bit of trivia. I mentioned in the previous segment that I didn't think Stinger of the Alliance of Evil had been used since this issue. I was wrong, because right after I finished recording uh, all the information about the uh, New Mutants Annual, bought a digital copy of Cable Number 2, the current series, and Stinger is actually kind of, sort of, central to the plot of that issue and the storyline that begins from it. So, that was neat. Anyway, on to the comic book that we're actually talking about. So, the cover is very similar to the last one. It's piecemeal front and center with members of X-Force and member of the New Warriors attacking uh, Harness. Um... And then we've got piecemeal on the ground in front of Harness. And piecemeal has been bodily bloated by all the energy he's absorbed. And I'm going to refer to piecemeal looking overweight and looking obese in this. Actually, I shouldn't even say overweight. He's been bodily distorted into being obese and when I talk about that, I'm not fat shaming in any way. Um, piecemeal's condition isn't a result of, of you know, normal human consumption. It's a byproduct of his powers. So you know, please understand if I'm referring to that, I'm not calling anybody out for any kind of body issues. So I'm just reeling what's visually in the comic. But this cover, uh, as I mentioned in the synopsis, is by Mignola and Bagley. And it kind of looked, it's very obvious from piecemeal that he was done by Mignola and maybe Harness was too. Uh, but some of the characters are very obviously Bagley, like Speedball and Namorita and Marvel Boy all look like they're definitely Bagley. And, but at the same time, um, Nova and Firestar look like maybe they could have been drawn by uh, Mignola. It's hard to tell. Um, my guess is that probably Mignola drew this and then Bagley inked over it. This is a pretty cool cover. So we get inside the book and X-Force is squaring off against the New Warriors. 
So we should talk about who the new warriors are. So this is this was one of my favorite books back in the early 90s. And it's a testament to how much I like uh, Nicias' writing. This is one of the few non-mutant books I was reading at the time. But who are the members? So we've got Night Thrasher. And Night Thrasher is basically teenage Batman. Well, instead of a cape, he's got like low-tech body armor and a skateboard and a scream of sticks. And I love him. I think he's great. We have Silhouette, who is a lady who is whose legs are partially paralyzed. And she uses, um, not walking stick, but uh, uh, like the kind of crutches that strap onto your forearms. But she can actually use them to fight with, so she's really neat. And she can teleport through shadows. Um, we have Speedball, who is a character created by Steve Ditko. And his body... It's got something to do with kinetic energy where he constantly can bounce around because of it. And if he's hit with enough, enough kinetic energy, it can make this huge energy discharge. He's extremely powerful, but he's really goofy and, and you know, doesn't use his powers to their fullest extent. I really like him a lot. He was totally misused in, civil, in the original Civil War. And he becomes like this grim, dark character called Penance, which is just terrible. But yeah, I really, I really like the old school speedball. Uh, we have Firestar, who originated in the Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends cartoon. Now, I'm going to ask, did anybody else remember that show being called Spider-Man and his Amazing Spider-Friends? Or was that just me? Is that something that I've misremembered or were there two separate cartoons? But I remember it called being Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Friends. But she, she's a mutant and she has radiation powers, which manifests as heat. And she's pretty cool. She was originally a member of the Hellions, and she's super cool. Uh, we have Nova, who's the original Earth Nova. In this, he has regained his powers, but he doesn't have his original Nova costume. He's using a brown costume at this point. Eventually, he'll get a kind of uh, Earth-based technological recreation of his original costume. And that's actually coming up after the arc of new warriors that takes place concurrent to this annual. Um, he, you know, he's can fly and he's super strong and all that stuff. We have Namorita who is, I always thought she was a clone of, um, Namor's cousin, Namora. Uh, there's a bunch of little mini origin stories in the back of this issue that are, you know, and hers says she's the daughter of Namora. I don't know. I'm not super up on all my Namor mythology, but I like her a lot. Um, Bagley draws this. I love Bagley's art in this time period. I really liked it. I love how he draws Namora, you know, and not just because she's always kind of scantily clad, but because he draws her really muscular. And I really appreciate that. I find muscular women very attractive. And she is like super, she's really ripped. So good job on that. And then we have a Cord, who is kind of the team adult. It's C-H-O-R-D. That's his last name. Um, he's kind of um, not really Night Thrasher's guardian, I don't know. But he's kind of like the team's driver and the helicopter pilot. And he helps Night Thrasher train and all this other cool stuff. And we have Marvel Boy. He's probably one of the more complicated characters on the team. Marvel Boy is Vance Astrovic. 
in Marvel Boy's alternate future self is Vance Astro of the OG Guardians of the Galaxy. And that version of Vance did not uh, develop his mutant powers until after he'd been in like cryogenic sleep for like a thousand years. This one developed his mutant powers as, a, as an early teenager. And he is a mutant telekinetic. And he will eventually go on to accidentally kill his father in what was intended to be a moment of self-defense, but was also a lack of control of his own powers. He actually goes to prison for it. Afterward, he adopts the identity of justice with a costume that I don't particularly, excuse me, excuse me, that I don't particularly like. And then he will go on to join the Avengers in the Kurt Busiek era in both a costume that I don't like and a interpretation of the character that is just honestly kind of lame but I really like him here I like all these characters here again I really really like this book when I was a kid and I'm actually doing a reread of it now and it's it really holds up very very well but that is the new warriors and again they all fight until speedball who wasn't actually fighting anyone says hey why are we fighting this is dumb and then they actually figure out why they're all there and next horse is there to investigate and the new warriors are there to kind of act as security and they go oh our bad so uh, but is it a, it is a rather lengthy fight i think it's like a six page fight so it takes up a good portion of the book <laughs> after speedball gets everybody to take a time out we get the two guys from gene tech the two ceos that show up and they say that they're hired by ofra industries to create the uh, recreate a DNA matrix for a cellular mix, which would become a self-reproducing, self-replicating growth culture. Um, I don't know what's going on with the Ofra Industries. I assume it's, I don't know, maybe I'm obtuse. It seemed like a weird reference to Oprah Winfrey. I, I don't know. It, uh, I just thought that was a weird thing. Maybe there's some other uh, definition of that word. Maybe it has some other origin. I'm sure it does, and I'm just dumb, and I don't know it, but whatever. I just thought it was weird. Um, so we get another scene of our two guys playing chess in the Vail, Colorado uh, Mountain Chalet. Now, the chalet looks very different from this one than it did in the last one. The last one, it looks like, you know, a very nice, very large house somewhere up in the mountains. This looks like a UFO sticking out the side of a mountain. So that's fun. And we know that the one guy is very obviously supposed to be Gideon. Now, if you, you get a little more of the second guy and you mostly get kind of him in shadow, but you're starting to see more of his shape. And if you've read the early issues of X-Force, you would probably be able to figure this out in retrospect, but um, it's a weird reveal. <laughs> um, I remember thinking, huh? But we'll get into that when they show him in full. Now, we move on to there to Anchorage, Alaska, where uh, Harness and Piecemeal show up. And man, Bagley's interpretation of Piecemeal's armor, not Piecemeal, Harness's armor is awesome. Especially there's a scene on the bottom of page 12 of the digital copy where Harness is holding piecemeal up by his shirt 
and it's kind of a side view, so you get this sort of really angular look on uh, Harness's mask and Harness's, like, kind of the headpiece of their helmet. And he's, uh, Harness has, like, this blade popping out of a gauntlet, and it looks really cool. It, the way Bagley does the armor, it reminds me of Shogun Warriors. And if you're a child of the 80s like I was, then if you're old enough, you may remember the Shogun Warriors. I had like a bunch of them when I was little as they were starting to go out of popularity. I'm sure my family got them in like the discount bin or something, but I thought they were really cool. Uh, but they were these cool looking Japanese robot things. Now, this is where we see that piecemeal is getting, as I said, morbidly obese looking. And that's how his power works. As he absorbs power, it adds girth to his body and not in a way that like Guido from X Factor does. He doesn't put it on his muscle. He puts it on as what looks like fat. And you can tell this is disfiguring this kid. So it's really upsetting. It's not that, oh, you know, this poor kid got turned fat. It's this kid's being disfigured by what Harness is making him do, which is pretty upsetting. Uh, we also learned that the energy leash that Harness um, creates is an actual extension of their mutant ability. So that was actually kind of cool to find that out. It's not just part of their armor. Um, so from there, we get the scene of... Now, what X-Force and New Mutants do, they split up into three teams. And um, Cable's group goes and breaks Frenzy out of prison. And uh, Silhouette Shadow teleports into the cell, tells her to get ready. Um, Cable uses uh, his helicopter or the new, the new Warriors helicopter, whatever, and he blows a hole in the side of the prison. And he tells Frenzy to jump, and she jumps, and he catches her by the arm, and that's when he asks her questions. And that's when Frenzy reveals that, okay, 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 we were hired by AIM. And that's when Cable just lets her fall. And that's, it's not a very nice guy thing to do. And later, Cable, uh, fully written by Nicieza without uh, Liefeldian oversight, would probably have written that differently. Um, the writer who takes over after Nicieza probably would have written that differently. But it's not terrible because, you know, Frenzy is pretty indestructible. It's not really going to hurt her. You know, all he did was break his promise. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of the typical action movie badass thing that Louise was going for when she was writing him. So it's not bad. It's it's not what I want to see from Cable, but I don't hate it. It's definitely, I don't consider it a, a Magog moment. It's fine. The next scene is where the second group of uh, X-Force and New Mutants members are going to the AIM facility where they're creating like the humanoid shell that's going to contain the energy. And this was a really funny scene because this is Shatterstar and Warpath and uh, Firestar and Speedball and Marvel Boy. And, you know, the new warriors are talking about, OK, let's sneak in. And X-Force goes, we don't sneak. And um, Shatterstar uses his mutant ability which I think it's interesting. It's used a lot in this uh, annual 
crossover, but it's hardly ever used once X-Force gets like full on started where he can kind of shoot energy through his swords. And I think it gets better to find once Nisieta takes over writing X-Force fully. I know there's like a an issue with him and Adam X or something where there's it, you get a little more definition to the use of his power. But he basically Shatterstar uses his, his power and he blows a hole in the roof and him and Warpath jump in and are like yeehaw. And, and so Firestar says, "Not much for subtlety, not much for subtlety, are they?" And Speedball says, "A real Reagan era group we're dealing with here." And Marvel Boy says, "My father voted for Reagan." And Firestar says, "I think mine did too." And Speedball says, "And mine too." That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? And I really like that because remember, I was like probably Speedball's age when this came out. I was like sixteen, maybe seventeen at the most, probably not. And, you know, I was a liberal kid growing up with conservative parents and a whole, I was the whole conservative family. I was the only liberal kid. I'm still the only liberal person in my whole family. Um, so I think it's funny just kind of Generation X here going, yep, that sounds like some junk my dad would say. So I thought that was pretty rad. <laughs> and then we get the third group going to the... Xavier Mansion sub-basement. And this is a couple interesting things. One, we see that the access code to the hatch has been changed, which isn't a surprise after Richter left it open after he went running off to Genosha. And two, that there are now booby traps in place. And that's that's pretty neat, considering that a few months after this, the Xavier Mansion will be completely rebuilt on top of the sub-basement. This came out in let's say June of 1991 and adjectiveless X-Men came out, what, maybe September, something like that sometime in the fall. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a heck of a heck of a, a rebuild. Of course, you know, you're using Shi'ar technology, but it's just a cute little thing that I took as like, well, this is them getting ready to rebuild. We gotta, we gotta lock this sub basement and set up some booby traps in case intruders show up. So that's fun. And the second thing is we see Farrell um, being a team player and being portrayed as reckless, but not bloodthirsty. And that's pretty cool because, I mean, once again, once we get into X-Force proper, I think Farrell tries to gut Cannonball for no reason in issue two. And then she's constantly threatening to kill Boomer and stuff like that, and then she eventually runs off and joins the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, or, uh, no, the MLF. But, yeah, and it's, you know, she, you know, they're saying that uh, they could just, you know, Cannonball could just blast his way through this grid of lasers with his blast field, and Feral, you know, runs the gauntlet with her increased agility, and she says, yeah, but this is a lot more fun. And it's just, it's just neat. I, I like that. I, that's some good characterization for her. I've never been particularly invested in Feral one way or the other. I think, you know, lowercase f Feral characters are kind of a dime a dozen in the early 90s. But this is some pretty decent uh, characterization of her. And so everybody gets all their, their data together. And that's where S Sam somehow uses Cerebro to figure out that the data that was given to them by Gene Tech originally came from um, Muir Island. 
Uh, from there, we get like another one-page shot of Harness and Piecemeal. And this time they're on top of a on top of the Kodanasha building in Tokyo. And uh, Harness has Piecemeal absorb more energy. And by now, uh, Piecemeal is fully disfigured. He is um, massively, massively obese with a tiny head. And it's got to be incredibly painful. Um, so, again, and Harness just constantly belittling him and calling him names and just making him feel worthless. While at the same time, um, negging him where she's saying, you know, I'm the only one that loves you. I'm the only one that takes care of you. You're basically a useful, uh, worthless piece of crap is, uh, it's powerful stuff. So yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, harness getting their comeuppance. And after that, everybody regroups at gene tech and there's a really cool group shot. And man, I really like the way Bagley draws cable. Um, this is Bagley at his peak, in my opinion. I know he will get a lot more known for drawing or penciling Spider-Man in the 90s. And in fact, he'll I think he starts with the Round Robin storyline that features at least a couple of new Warriors characters and Moon Knight and Punisher and a whole bunch of other people. And it's kind of a fun story. It's written by Al Milgram, which is not excuse me, he's not my favorite writer, but it's still a pretty fun story. And, you know, he'll do, you know, Thunderbolts in the, in the late nineties and all that stuff. And by the time he comes on the Thunderbolts, I think by then I'd kind of, his either style had changed or there's an inker that's working on his stuff that I just don't like as much, but this looks really, really good with Albrecht, um, doing the, doing the inks. It looks pretty great. And whenever they show a close-up of Cable, he looks, I don't know, his hair is that kind of very receding hairline that uh, Rob gave him. But his face looks a little smoother, and he doesn't look as, um, I mean, obviously he doesn't look as disproportionate. That's what I mean. He doesn't look disproportionate to the other characters, I should say. He's still a large guy. But he's not like eight feet tall compared to other people who are like five foot five. And that is where, uh, while they're all uh, comparing notes, where we uh, get the scene where Cable makes the connection that AIM is trying to recreate Proteus. And there is a pretty cool shot on the last page of the story of a splash page of the uh, classic all new uh, X-Men team with uh, yellow costume Wolverine and classic costume Cyclops and classic costume Colossus and Nightcrawler and Phoenix fighting Proteus. And that's the end of the story, but the the issue goes on. It's got a bunch of little mini origin stories for Night Thrasher and Marvel Boy and, let's see, Speedball, pretty much every one of the new warriors. And I'm not going to go into them because they have nothing to do with the mission statement of this podcast. But if you are not familiar with the New Warriors and you are at least interested in them uh, based on this conversation, I would highly recommend you check out this annual and maybe just flip through those origins and see what you think because I think they're a ton of fun.
All right, so that wraps up the uh, coverage of this story for this episode. But that does not do it for the episode in general because I still have to wrap things up. So um, next episode, we are going to continue discussion of Kings of Pain. We're going to do the Uncanny X-Men annual and the X-Factor annual, which will wrap up the story altogether. In the meantime, if you have any questions about Cable or about the Summers family or anything along those lines that you would like answered on the show, feel, to, feel free to drop them in my DMs at StormChaser2162 on Twitter, or you can tweet at me directly, or you can send me an email at CableGuidePodcast at gmail.com. And let's see, other business. Uh, I hope, as always, that everyone out there is staying safe and sane as the virus continues to do its thing. Um, the county where I live, school started back up today. Um, so I'm expecting a huge spike in our area, unfortunately. But I hope where you are, you are doing everything you can to keep yourself and your loved ones as safe as humanly possible. And I hope you continue doing that until this whole situation gets better, if it ever does. But I'm sure it will. But uh, let's see, what else? I think that's it. Okay, so I will be back with you soon because with cable, it's always just a matter of time. Body slide by one.